Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, I uh, I have a guest on today who was back in the early days when this was actually called uh, KYHY925. He came on and um, he was one of my first big guests. And then he was, I used to have all comics. And now he's the first comedian I've had this year, which I'm very excited because he's always, put it this way, I have an audition later today and I'm happy because I'm not going to have to talk. I know he's going to do all the talking and I wanted to get his daughter, but they, he said, no, no, Cooper, I'm coming on because his daughter is a big star now with the band GRL. Oh my God, this is the longest introduction I've ever had. Uh, there, there's there's Bobby Slate. Go, okay, Bobby. Yeah, our guest is Bobby Slate. They call him the pit bull of comedy. Bobby's been in a million movies. You've seen him on TV. I was uh, getting to that. Okay, I will get, you know, you, you were never going to get to it because first of all, I was on in the early days you make it sound like uh, in the 1930s when they still had people sat by the radio before television I was on the Steve Cooper in the early days it was two years ago what was it three years ago three years I think it was before I had heart disease you know I had heart, I had heart disease and I was you led me to get heart disease it was before then oh really was it that long well that's when you had only a handful of imaginary listeners now you have thousands of imaginary listeners I know, right that's great right? I know tons of them it's right, because the last time I did this you know every podcast every radio show I do uh, I get at least one or two three or four you know messages at uh, you know Pitbull of Comedy my Twitter handle or uh, you know BobbySlate.com or on Facebook hey I heard you on this podcast any obscure little radio show from you last time nothing nothing me Really? Or they weren't impressed, or they didn't care, or they weren't listening. I don't know. I don't know. Or a combination of all three. So what have you been up to, man? You're, 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 I, what have you been up to since the early days of radio? No, yeah, well, well, I, I, well, I, I catch know, it up to do, one, one of the things I want to talk to you about is, and we'll talk about your career and everything, but I remember and your, 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 pay, your posts on Facebook are great. Yeah. First of all, you're, you're one about... Uh, about um, uh, Chenoweth. Uh, oh, Christy Chenoweth? <laughs> that, was, that was classic. You know, I know, first of all, you know, the whole social media thing, I don't like it. I mean, I, I, I do it because, you know, I was always a day late with everything. You know, Dane Cook, for whatever anybody says about him, uh, his comedy... Is Dane got that whole thing started, you know, the MySpace thing, where comics realized the guy became a star through MySpace. And, you know, he got a lot of followers. And then by the time I got on MySpace, everybody was on to, uh, what was the next one? Uh, by the time everybody was on, uh, uh, was it MySpace? It was MySpace, I think, was the first one. Yeah. And then it was, uh, then they started going to Facebook. Facebook. But everybody's on to Twitter, and everybody's on to LinkedIn. And uh, you know what? I, I understand it's important for business, and I understand it's become really important for comedy. And I've heard for a lot of writers because i just wrote a book which uh i don't even want to talk about but it's it, why not i want to talk about that it's it's really well we'll get to that but we'll, we'll, get, to, we'll, we'll get to everything stop rushing into things um but what, what, what happened was um I heard that a lot of publishers, you know, they don't want to take you on as a writer, as an author, unless you have at least 100,000 Twitter followers. And, and, you know, it's hard to sell on comedy clubs now because everybody's, everybody's tweeting. You know, there's something good to be said about all that. And there's something horrible like Yelp. Every jackass is a critic, you know, and every idiot. Uh, I, I mean, when Yelp first came out, I, I, I want to go to a restaurant. I hear about some pizza place on every side of New York or something. And I look on Yelp and... You know, you'd see just as many bad things as good things. And most people like to go on Facebook and, and Twitter. And, and most people like to bitch and complain about things. I was going to say, no, because I, I saw someone, a comic, uh, she put about how guys bash women and all that. And I, I host this comedy night uh, with a little of my friends dive bar. And I bring in comics I'm friends with. And I do, when I perform, I don't bash women. You know, and it's like, it's like everyone bitches. And I always think everyone's bitching about the business. And I'm thinking, this business isn't supposed to be easy. It's not like, you know, right. you don't hear lawyers, like, they go nepotism. Hey, look at every law. Law firm where I grew up in New Jersey or right. where you grew up in New York right. in Scarsdale. Look at every law firm. You know what? It's the kids taking over. 
look at the family business. This is, business isn't supposed to be easy. And on Facebook, they constantly bitch. And the thing that pisses me off the worst is when they bitch is when they spell crap wrong. It's like at least oh, spell check. It's People. like it's like I I hate that you spell like H A I T. It's yeah, like no, don't no, get People it right. Do that a lot. And unfortunately, because of autocorrect and autospell and auto check, whatever it's called, a lot of times you post something and you got to take it down because it automatically right. changes. A, but that, that happens to everybody. But what I was going to say about Yelp and all the whole social media things a lot like that is that people like to go on and they've been known to almost destroy restaurants because um, everybody's a critic. You know, you know, airlines, everybody's got a problem with the airlines. If you fly as much as I do, you know, occasionally your luggage is, you know, sent somewhere else and planes are late. I'm kind of used to it, so I don't really complain about it. But nobody writes an airline when, you know, hey, thanks for getting me there on time and my luggage was there in 10 minutes. Or if somebody goes to a restaurant, there's a new waiter and somebody spills something on, you know, they, they get something wrong. Nobody ever writes a letter when, God, that was a great meal and thank you. And, you know, it, it's always when there's a problem. So everybody's on Facebook. Everybody's complaining. And, you know, it's like when somebody's sick or somebody dies. You know, I've gone on when friends of mine have passed away. And, you know, John Panette just died. And, you know, comics go on or actors and tell a little Mickey Rooney story. But when people go on all the time, you know, my mom just had a stroke. Pray for her. You know, I feel bad. I don't even know you. Right. You're one of the billions of people that I friended on Facebook. And I'm sorry your mom is sick. I'm sorry your cat died. But, you know, everybody, I guess it's a catharsis for them to get out of their system. Well, I think it's also they just they have nowhere to communicate. It's like for me, the food. Okay, I'm, I'm writing a cookbook, okay, we're in the midst of trying to sell because I have for healthy eating. You're writing a cookbook. Yes, because, but I, I cook all the time. My I cook all the cook, time too. But I don't post pictures of what I cook. Last night I made like a, a Cajun shrimp boil, which was right. easy to make. I don't sit there and take a picture and go, I made this. Because you know what? Who gives a crap? I'm eating this. You're not eating that. And that's the people who put some of this trivia stuff up. Right. They sit there and go, it's like, okay, okay, your kid, you have a kid. That's great. I don't have kids. You have a kid. Well, look, your your daughter is a, is a star somewhat. You post when she's going to be TV. You're not posting pictures going, look at my daughter, look at my daughter. No, but no. there's people who post their kids every day. And it's like, okay, right. I don't care if your kid's taking a crap. I don't want to see your kid on the toilet taking a crap. Somebody actually said on Facebook, who was it? Uh some comic, I'm sorry, I can't remember, but uh, stop posting pictures of your cat. Oh, no, no, Bill Maher said this on uh, on his show. Uh, stop going on Facebook and posting pictures of a cat. We've all seen cats. Then right. he goes, well, cute dogs, on the other hand. They, they're kind of, but cats do kind of look alike. Dogs, well, yeah. dogs have more personality. But, but you know what? I can't believe you're writing a cookbook because I'm writing a... Um, a little memoir autobiography, which every comic and every actor, everybody show has done. But you got a lot of balls to write a cookbook. And I don't think, I don't understand how anybody, and I don't take this personally, would buy your cookbook when there are thousands of cookbooks out by okay. every major chef. I mean, Wolfgang Puck just wrote a healthy cookbook. He must have five or ten books. Mary Batali must have five or ten books. That's Rachel Ray. So let's just take a hundred top chefs from Bobby Flay to even Martha Stewart. And they've all written. 10 to 20 why would anybody buy your fucking cookbook because what is your cookbook it's called stop the assault I suffer from congestive heart failure which right. I'm fit I just turned 50 a lot of people don't deal with it right. all these cookbooks everyone's afraid you look at it and you go you need 87 ingredients my cookbook is basic cooking for one before my girlfriend moved out here I cook for myself and it's good food healthy cheap instead of eating crap and I'm someone who did comedy in the road I did you know Live, didn't live a healthy lifestyle and all of a sudden you walk out of the hospital and you gotta change your whole life and I'm telling you that's why people will buy <laughs> right. the cookbook stop the assault the A is crossed out to you it's stop the salt because sodium's a killer and no one no one 
everyone looks at TV now and they watch Applebee's commercials and they go, hey, look, it only has four milligrams of fat. Yeah, but it has 2,700 milligrams of sodium. Eat that every day. You and know, you're going to blow up and you're going you to get diabetes and you're going to get your foot cut off. Well, that's why I don't, you know, I, I travel around the country a lot. and uh, It must be hard for you to eat healthy. Huh? It must be hard for you to eat healthy if you want to. You know what? It isn't hard for me to eat healthy at all because, like, for example, two weeks ago I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. I love barbecue. And when I go to Knoxville or Memphis or Kansas City, I make sure I go, look, there's going to be at least a couple of times I'm going to eat barbecue. And barbecue is not the worst thing. Yeah, it's salty and it's fatty. and it, But I eat the good stuff. I don't get the cream corn on the side. Right. I don't get, you know, the collard greens with butter. They're so You know, good, it's baked beans. And yes, there's a little bacon in them. Uh, you know, I get, uh, I don't get the coleslaw with all the, you know, mayonnaise. I eat very, very healthy. But at the same time, when I'm on the road, I realize, you know, uh, a Chipotle is it? I started going to Knoxville, and I'm there for four days. And Chipotle's here. I would never step foot in an Applebee's or a lot of those places unless I have to, you know. But there's sometimes gotta have a great cheeseburger. But I, then again, it's okay to have all this stuff. If oh, yeah, you eat it all the time. If you, you know, my feeling is this: for me, like when I first got out of the hospital, I had to watch my sodium. I was like, oh, but now I go, okay, you know what? I can go have a, a, a crappy meal because I'm not doing it all the time. Before I do it all the time, and you learn sometimes, you know, you, you know, if you're gonna go eat triple cheeseburgers every day, you're gonna have a heart attack. Well, you know, see, I've eaten healthy for the last thirty years. Now I've done, of course, uh, my tremendous share of. of of drugs, uh, not, nothing. I mean, cocaine, and I dr- I still drink a lot of alcohol. Which what, I what's what your drink of choice? Huh? What do you like? I'm a big red wine guy. When okay. I work, I drink vodka, but I now coffee at least a bottle of wine a night. And uh, you know, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I'm not saying people should do that. I'm not saying I'm Keith Richards, but uh, you know, I have my liver checked once a year. It's fine. I take a ton of liver vitamins. Uh, I get the metabolism of a hummingbird. So you know, there's a lot of people who can go on forever. Uh, you know, George Burns with the cigars and two martinis a day, corned beef sandwiches. And then, you know, there's a famous story about all the, you know, the, who's that runner? Jim Fix or oh, yeah. a lot of health food people exactly. uh, who, who get cancer. You know, Andy Kaufman was a perfect example. I think one or two percent of people with lung cancer, you know, they, they're all smokers except for like one percent. And Andy Kaufman was a health food freak before it was popular. He's eating seaweed and he died from lung cancer. So, you know, you don't know what your predisposition is and uh, whatever. But I've always eaten really healthy. But about 10 years ago. Since I'm so skinny, you are, I, you are uh, skinny. I mean, do you do you, do you work out too? I work out. Okay. I, I mean, I, I work out. Uh, as a matter of fact, today, I can't wait to get this over with. I just finally heated my pool uh, for the summer. I can't wait to go back and do. Yeah, laps. you have to heat it today. It's 91 huh? today. You don't have to heat your. Well, you I do because the pool's so big and so ice cold that it won't heat up naturally. I heated it today. Hopefully, it'll stay warm for the summer. So I can't wait to get the hell right. out of here and go swimming. <laughs> um, no, but when I go to a town, I walk, and if there's nowhere to walk, I still walk, and I walk for miles and miles. I don't go hiking. I, I don't, I, but I walk and I have a gym in my garage. And, you know, I don't work out as much as I should. I'm lucky that I'm skinny. I need more than most overweight people. But about 10 years ago, when I, uh, maybe even 15 years ago, a Jamba Juice opened by my house. And I was trying to lose a little bit of a belly. Because when you're really skinny, a belly doesn't look good at all. Yeah. You know, when you're fat and big, you can, it kind of goes with the belly. So I'm getting a double giant Jamba Juice. I'm drinking two of them a day, thinking, wow, there's no fat, and I'm getting protein and vitamin B, but you don't realize the calories, like you were saying about the sodium. People going, hey, this is low fat. You know, Kellogg's and uh, all the cereal places, you know, the companies, they do that in the box. 20 grams of fiber, 97 grams of protein. They, but they don't put that there's all that corn syrup and fructose right. and garbage in there. So, you know, you get one thing, you're losing another. Uh, but when you said it's so hard to go on the road and not eat healthy, 
you know what? It's like, you know, when, when I first moved to California, uh, for people that aren't from California, you know, Gelson's was a state-of-the-art supermarket. And you go back east, up, upstate New York, and there's Wegmans. Because when I grew up in New York, and you too, there was AMP and Dage and King Collin. We had, uh, Ac- we had Acme Shop, right? right. And, uh, so now you can go into any town. You know, I'm in, like I said, Knoxville, Memphis, two blocks from my hotel, there's a Kroger's, 24 hours. There's organic produce, organic aisle, organic shampoo. And it costs more, but it's not as hard to stay healthy on the road as it used to be. Because, yeah, it used to be. Like, there's a diner. It used to be horrible. And when I go back to New York, I'll tell you, it is the hardest thing for me. Because when I go back to play New York City and I stay midtown, I walk maybe... 10 to 15, 20 miles a day in New York. And at the end of the walk, I walk from the Upper East Side down to the village and I reward myself with an entire pizza, sausage, bottle of wine, and I walk back up. So, you know, I kind of... Well, it's funny you say that about New York because my brother uh, has lived at 50, his, lives on 55th and 6th and him and his wife before she passed have lived there forever. Right. And when we would go there, he would always say, okay, you go into the city, we take a cab to eat but then we'd walk up, walk it off, and that's yeah. something a lot of people do. They go, okay, and you sit there going, I'm sitting there going, wait, how many blocks is it? He goes, don't worry. When you're walking at night, after it, you'll be fine. Oh, that's great. And the weird thing also is, like in LA, I live in Burbank, I walk around, you know, if I go, you might pass a few people, but in New York, it's what's great is, no matter what time it is, there's always a ton of people in the street, so it's, it's easier, and you have to walk fast, because everyone else is walking fast, right. so you actually get caught up and you have to walk. Well, I like solitude, I like being by myself, and I'm a loner, and, um, I like to uh, um, I like to walk and it keeps me it keeps my head clear. I think of stuff all the time, you know, and it's it's just great. Well, for me, I enjoy it now since I got out of the hospital. I work out now and I do the treadmill and I do the bike and basic stuff like that. But it's it's good. Well, I, I it's good because you do you think you think differently. You're on your own. You you have your mind at a different level. You know, it's funny. We've done this whole. <laughs> we haven't talked about comedy yet, which I like. But I bored people to death. But you you know what you know what I give a lot of credit to a lot of credit. I you know, asked me if I worked out. I don't work. Two, at least two, three, four days a week. So I have nothing to do. And then when I'm working, besides morning radio, I only work one to two hours a night. Right. So I have all day. There's no excuse for me not to work out. And I can't tell you how many times I do radio and then I go back to the room, well, I'll work out after lunch. And I take a little walk. And after lunch, well, I get a watch from TV. And I get that thing on Netflix. And I don't work out. I give credit to people that when I walk around Manhattan or I'm doing morning radio and I'm going into an office building and there's a gym or I walk by 24-hour fitness and there's people working out five, six in the morning before work and there are people that work out, take spinning class, do Pilates after work. And, and those people, that would be really hard for me to do. If I worked eight hours a day, first thing in the morning before work, I don't want to work out. And when, after my day's over, I want to go home, see my family, take a shower, have a beer. So I give those people credit. My girlfriend's like that. Back when she was, when I would go visit her back east before she moved out, she would work all day and for 15 years she's worked out every like five days and I sit there she gets home from work and I'm sitting there just hanging around watching TV you know, and she's like come on and I'm like really you just got home from work relax no I have to go to gym and it's amazing you know when I was a young comic and I did a lot of dr- well I never did a lot of drugs people always seem to think I did because of my voice my screwed up sinuses and of course because I talk so fast but when I used to do cocaine and I would live in San Francisco and I'd do a show. You know, I, I'd be up all night and then about four or five in the morning, get ready to go to bed. And I'd hear the garbage trucks. And I'll go, now I know it's really time to go to bed. And I'd look out my window and there'd be somebody jogging. Right. And I'd go, now I really feel like a piece of crap. <laughs> now, now, now that I sit all night doing drugs, you know, because I have these things, oh, Jimi Hendrix, Keith Richards. But now the guy's jogging. He's jogging. I'm, I'm just a junkie. Stop it, Bobby. 
And for two days, I'd drink carrot juice. Exactly. I'd, I'd do push-ups. And I, I, had these, I, had a, I had a roommate in college. He wouldn't work out. He would drink all the time. Like a week before we go to Florida for spring break, he'd start eating salad. And we're like, dude, no. You, exactly. you, you're, you're going to be right. fat on a beach. Right, right, right. Now, I wanted to ask you, in one of your old posts, now, you had dinner at Woody Allen's house? No, I had oh. dinner with Woody Allen a few times. Now, how do you know house. Woody Allen? Huh? How do you know him? Well, I know Woody from um, a, a friend of mine is friends with Woody. And, uh, you know, it's, it, all these rich New York Jews kind of know each other. It's, it's not, you know, something I'll, hopefully I'll be one of them someday. But um, um, I was playing Florida a few years ago, and my friend came to my show, and he said to me, hey, you know, Woody Allen's a fan of yours. Um, and he, no, no, are you a Woody Allen fan? Huh? Are you a big Woody Allen fan? Well, how can you not be a Woody but, Allen I mean, fan? That must have made you feel great when someone says, hey, Woody Allen's a fan hey, of if yours. If I have any fans, the fact that you're a fan. You're nobody. I'm impressed. It makes me feel good. Well, I'm not a fan. That's hey, cool. I, I know you're a good guest. No, no, the fact that anybody <laughs> who I admire, when I hear that, you know, uh, I don't want to see her dropping names, but I'll, I'll yeah, let her some celebrity. Oh, Bobby Lane, I'm a fan of yours. You know, I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. Just if I get recognized that anybody says they're a fan, I appreciate it. But when somebody that you grew up with, and as a comic or as an actor, somebody whose work you really love, you know, says they're a fan. But it turns out he was getting me mixed up with somebody else. That's a whole other story. <laughs> he had no idea who I was. No idea. But anyway, so my friend said to me, I'm in Florida. And he said, you know, Woody's coming to my house next Friday night for dinner. And so I kind of invited myself in New York. I said, can I come? He said, of course. I said, well, wait a second. I just can't invite myself to dinner. He goes, well, I said, who's coming? He goes, just Woody and his wife and me. I said, that's it. He goes, yeah, you want to come? Woody would, he's a fan of yours. He would love to. I go, well, you better call him first and see if it's okay. Because I know he's a very private person. And, you know, uh, and he goes, you just show up for dinner. So I said to my wife, look, it's only five days away, and I was going back to L.A. I wasn't going to New York. And to buy a ticket to New York, you know, less than a week in advance because it's going to cost a fortune. i got to get a hotel. My friend says, i got an apartment. I'll give it to you. You get your airline ticket. So I said to my wife, and I I said to a couple people, is it worth going to New York for a night? They said, to have dinner with Woody Allen? Yeah. So I go to New York, and I go to my friend's house, and it was him, Woody, and his wife in this big dining room. My friend's got a lot of money. And uh, I prepared myself. I wasn't going to talk to Woody about his movies. I wasn't going to talk to him. Because that's like if I go to dinner and, and you know, with my wife's friends. Hey, you know who my favorite comic is? Hey, you want to hear a right. joke? Hey, you know who I really like? Don't you hate that? I don't, I don't really want to talk business. Because you're not, it's not, you, you, it's like the thing, if you walked in and you were an accountant, people were like, hey man, you know, uh, the right. deficit crisis, what do you, what do you think about right. the, uh, the the uh, Law Act of 1962? Right. I, I don't want to discuss it, you know, and, and, and I'm nobody. Woody must get this all the time. And, and like, again, being a shy person and not showing up for the Academy Awards when he won, you know this guy doesn't really care right. about show business. So I knew he was a Nick fan and a sports fan, but more important that he was a big jazz fan, especially Dixieland, you know, New Orleans, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, and I'm a big jazz, more blues guy, but I thought I'd talk about that and the fact that when I started out in San Francisco in the 70s, Woody, being a New York comic, spent a lot of time in San Francisco. You know, that big movement in the 60s, you know, the comedy explosion before me, you know, with Jonathan Winters and, and uh, Lenny Bruce and uh, Mort Saul and Smothers Brothers, Phyllis Diller. A lot of them were Bay Area-based, California-based, and Woody played out there a lot. So I knew we had a lot of friends, you know, people that he remembered from the 60s, people I met in the 70s. So we talked a lot about comedy, and it was a very interesting dinner. And uh, at the end of dinner... Um, you know, we were talking about comics today and who Woody likes. And I mentioned Lewis Black was a friend of mine, and he loves Lewis. And and I said, well, maybe next time I come back to New York, I can come over with Lewis. He said, I'd love that. And uh, so my friend, whose home it was, said, yeah, if you know any other funny people, let's set up another dinner. So I called a few other comics. David Brenner was one of them. David was one of my best friends. Were you good friends with him? Yeah, really good friends. And... Um, 
Yeah, that was that was really sad. David Gibby, you know, he was before my time, but when he had a TV show called Nightlife in the 80s, he put me on, I think, before The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and David put me on a few times. David was a big star in the 70s. He did the well, Tonight you know, show. I was going to say about the David, the thing is that people, growing up 10 minutes from Philadelphia, people like comics now don't know the magnitude. David Brenner in Philadelphia on the 4th of July the Beach Boys started playing there. They used to do a show in the Art Museum right. steps. But before the Beach Boys played there, David Brenner used to perform at that show. And you don't understand, everyone in Philadelphia was there. Like, we went, you know, you would just go. And it was that's how big he was. Every, I mean, in Philadelphia, well, he, he was... He was the first guy, you know, started that kind of observational comedy. You ever notice, you know, and, and Seinfeld and everybody, and, and not that everybody took from David Brenner, but but he kind of started a style of comedy that you take for granted now. It's like the first guy that invented the fork. Right. Well, a fork would have been... Well, you didn't think of it. <laughs> you know, what about the chair? You said, you know, somebody thought of these things. Right. And, and, been, and people had done observational comedy, but David really... really brought it to that new level in the 70s with this comedy explosion and um you know, everybody had a style of comedy and, you know, topical comedy, silly comedy, impressions. Uh, but David had a style and he, he really influenced the generation of comics. So I called him up and to get him together with Lewis Black, Woody Allen, for all of us to be in New York at the same time. And we went back to my to my friend's house and we had another dinner. All of you, and, you, um, you four? Yeah, I brought, I, I invited Brenner and Lewis and uh, Woody Allen brought his wife and Dick Cavett because those two guys go back, you know, from day one. And, at dinner, uh, David Blaine showed up. And after dinner, uh, David spent an hour showing us magic tricks and card tricks. And, and Woody and both him and Cavett were amateur magicians. So to see all of us after a two-hour dinner of drinking wine and talking, uh, a room full of comedians, uh, not Cavett and Woody so much because they're more quiet reserved, but Lewis, me, and Brenner, you know, just going on and on and on. But we all sat there for an hour pretty much in silence, you know, watching Blaine do some of these tricks that of course when I told Penn and Teller and other magicians oh we can do that trick oh that's an old one but to us it wasn't and, and David was a great he had a great way of doing some of these tricks so that was really interesting then six months later I went back to New York and uh, we had dinner in a restaurant and I monopolized Woody's time it was about 15 people and I sat next to him for two hours monopolized his time and I said uh, I'm sorry you're not talking to your wife or anybody else because I could always talk to her I want to talk to you about comedy but the point of the whole story was I'm still not sure he knows my name. <laughs> That's funny. But if I ran to Woody in the street, he would know me. He'd go, hey, how are you doing? But I don't know if he would know my name, you know? That just must be amazing, though, because, you know, sitting there, and even if, I mean, even if you he doesn't know your name, he he likes you enough where he, he, you were in, you've come back and eaten with him, and it's that you're on his list. Well, I'm not going to sit there talking talk to him about Annie Hall. I'm not going to talk to him about those horrible, moronic, child molesting charges. I'm not going to talk to him about, hey, you're older than your wife. Uh, I just wanted to talk to him about comedy. You know, it's the same way I talk to, you know, I mean, one of my dreams would be to sit down with Keith Richards and I would never mention the Rolling Stones, but I would love to talk about the blues and, you know, when he started out, who he liked and stuff like that, you know. Uh, the other thing at that dinner was Tim Zagat, the Zagat guy, because I love restaurants. So when I let Woody talk to other people, I would never talk to Tim about his favorite pizza places in America. No, so what did he say? Uh, that was the perfect dinner for me. It was a perfect storm. What did he give if you? Keith would have, well, if Keith would have been there. But what, what's, what did, he, did he give you any L.A.? What, what's your favorite pizza place in L.A.? Well, you know, there's a lot of them I haven't tried, but I'm such a New York pizza guy, and there's so many great ones. Uh, like Pizza Bianco in Phoenix is one of the great pizza places in the world. And I don't know if you've ever been there. Um, but here there's a lot of places. You know, there's a, there's that New York Slice kind of place, which is Joe's is good. And, you know, there's a... 
but I said I got to make it. The story's funny because there's a lot of people who write books, and and um, you know, Carol Leaf was a perfect example. She just wrote a book, and she we kind of started out at the same time. And Carol, you know, wrote on Seinfeld, and she just wrote a book about being troubles for forty years about little stories and essays. I haven't written, I haven't read it, but again, like me. I think it's more about the writing than the fact that, you know, you don't have stories like Robert Evans and all of a sudden, you know, and I, I nailed Marilyn Monroe and, right. I, and, 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 and then, you know, John Kennedy showed up and, you know, we're doing heroin and, and, and you know, I mean, I don't have these great showbiz stories that Jack Nicholson might have or some real Hollywood legend. So I said, I got to write this book and make it really funny. So I've been writing the book and I'm just rewriting it for the third time because it's not funny enough. It's got some great stuff in it, but... Um, you know, I mean, stories about being in the Rat Pack movie or, you know, getting booed off the stage by Journey, getting hosted the Porn Awards. They're all very funny stories. But will it hold its own with all the real showbiz memoirs? When you look at the fact that every guy in Kiss and, you know, has, uh, they all have an autobiography and probably a book written about them. Right. You know, there's 40 books by everybody about everybody, anybody who slept with anybody. So my book better be really good. So now I'm having second thoughts. And that's second thoughts about writing it. But I keep... You know, I just carry it around the whole time. I sit on airplanes, and I just go, you know what? Every chapter, I can put a funnier joke in there, a funnier joke in there, because I want it to be just a great, funny read. So you fly a lot. Yes, and I, I do. And now, and it's funny, because I was flying once a but, month for a while, and then I, I took, I used to fly Virgin a lot. But they just, they came out with, like, the top, Virgin's the top airline, they say, for customer service and stuff like that. It was a big, right. uh, American Eagle, which I didn't even know they were still around. Were like, well, that's American. They were 15. Yeah. What what airlines do you like and what airlines do you hate? Like, if you had any really bad, I mean, you know, you know it's like, as you said, people don't give, you know, good reviews. I always do that, like, with Virgin. I would tweet them. I'd say, Thank God, you know, the flight was late, but you gave us free movies. You know Thank what? you. you know what, what, what do you, what's is, your... well, see, I've been flying for so long now. I have about uh, 8 million frequent flyer miles. I don't, I've used them all. But, you know, over the years, I used to fly different airlines. And what you got to do when you fly as much as I do, what you should try to do, and uh, I think most comics do it, is you should pick one airline and stick with them. Because you want to get their top-tier elite you know, hit 100,000 miles a year. Because if you hit that, at least with American, that's what you have to hit, you get free first-class upgrades. And if you ever have a problem and you need to fix something and they see you're such a frequent flyer, occasionally they'll break those stupid rules. And, you know, oh, I booked this on the wrong date. I meant to do it now. It's going to, you know, occasionally they'll make exceptions for you. And so, uh, you know, if you're, if you're the kind of guy that flies to, to Europe and China and the Middle East, then you can afford to use a few different airlines because you're racking up a couple hundred thousand miles. Right. For me to hit 100,000 miles when I'm going to Denver and San Diego and San Francisco and Portland and even Chicago and Dallas, that takes a lot more flying. So I stick with American. And... Uh, I always stay with American, uh, unless, of course, I'm going to Canada and I got to switch twelve different planes. Then I'll fly Canadian Air, United, whoever goes. But so I, I'm not really the guy to ask about airlines. Um, I hear I've flown JetBlue is great, you know, but they don't go everywhere I want to go. So rather than fly three or four different airlines, I'll pay a little bit more to fly American instead of flying direct nonstop to Tampa. I'll switch planes in Dallas. You know, it's a little bit of a pain in the ass. But to hit that hundred thousand miles, it's worth it for me because I get so many more miles, you know, and uh, 
you know, so I stick with them. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you a comedy question because, you know. Yeah, we're, we should, we're, talking, we're talking frequent flyers. But no, but no, that's, that's, that's my show, though. People don't know. It's, 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 it's no, fine. People, people, we don't, you know, it's like. I said, I'm such an interesting person. I don't need to talk about comedy. Okay, okay, you know, here's the deal. You're the first comedian I've had on this uh, year. Okay, here's, here's my. I'm the only comedian you get. Here, wants to do oh, no, a dumb here's, show. here's my realm of guests. I had Gilby Clark from Guns N' Roses. Okay. I have Josh Mankiewicz from Dateline coming on next week. And I had a drummer from Corn and then the janitor from Breakfast Club. I get all different kind of guests. But you people should know. People know we're not. We don't just talk about. It's not about comedy anymore. Because I bring on people because you have good stories. But I want to talk about comedy. I haven't told one yet. But okay. No, you've been, you've been saying the pizza's good. People, the Woody Allen. Hey, I don't get guests that have dinner with Woody Allen. But Woody Allen, by the way, David Brenner probably had the best stories that night. David loves to tell. Sto- loved to tell stories. Now, how did you meet him? Huh? But when did you meet him? You know when we became friends. Well, not only did I do his TV show in the '80s, but when I moved to Vegas. Uh, to do my two-year run at Hooters Casino and then at the Tropicana, which was a nightmare. Um, Brenner was living there, and we did Rita Rudder had a TV show. So we did it uh, uh, 10 years ago. So me and David were panelists on Rita's show. Uh, Ask Rita or Dr. Rita or something. And, uh, you know, we just hit it off. I'd met him before, but like I said, he's a generation ahead of me. You know, David just passed away in 78. I'm 58. So, you know, he's a couple of generations ahead of me. And... Um, but both being East Coast Jews and stand-ups, David came to see my show. And we went up for dinner. And David's one of those guys that, you know, he's like me, likes to talk, has a lot of great stories. And we made each other laugh. And comics, you know, we were, it's almost like, you know, the reason cops all go to a, 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 that bar is known for firemen and athletes hang out together. Because, you know, you know the same stories. You live through the same shit. You know, you can fit each other's punchlines sometimes. Right. And... You know, being in the same business, and I loved listening to David's stories because I was very interested, always have been, about the history of Vegas ever since I did that Rat Pack movie. So I read every book there was about Vegas and the mob, and uh, it's all fascinating from Bugsy Siegel to, you know, to everything, all how the mob, you know, controlled the rackets, and, you know, Kansas City and Chicago, but love all that stuff. So David was remembers the tail end of it. Because when he came in the 70s, the mob was kind of being eased out of, you know, pushed out of Vegas. But he still knew a lot of people and knew stories and had great stories about Philly and... It it's a, those stories are because I had Tom Dreesen on the show and Tom, he has a snatch of stories. But you sit there and the comics that are like, the, like Brenner and Dreesen, they, they have like the... the it, was, it was when uh-huh. Hollywood and that stuff was all different. It's like when you could have a rat pack. Now you can never have a rat pack because everyone would say, oh, it's it's so on PC. Wait, wait, they're making the, the, the they're making fun of the, the Jew and the black oh, guy. Oh, that's it, not it, why you couldn't have a rat pack. I think the reason you can't have a rat pack anymore is guys just don't hang out like that anymore. It's just that, uh, you know, maybe because there's so much more to do. I think there was a camaraderie because you're all staying in one hotel. Right. The, you're in Vegas, there wasn't a lot to do in Vegas. There's four other hotels, and you're all performing together. So comics don't really all perform. You know, you don't have that kind of thing where Sinatra and Sammy and people don't. You don't have four guys up to perform it anymore. It's not you know financially feasible. It's not you know right. people just don't do that. You might get together afterwards, but um, um, what we used to do in Vegas uh, was my idea is we should uh, since there's so many comics that live there and work there. We should get together. We try to do it once a month. You know, if everybody was in town and could do it Friday afternoon, we'd meet at a restaurant on the Strip. And it was me and Carrot Top, um, Anthony Cools, who's the hypnotist. He's great. He kind of put it together with me. And, um, the, you know, Penn Gillette we invited. Um, Penn would say, hey, call me. Say, how come you never invite me to these lunches? I go, well, I know you hate hypnotists. And Anthony, well, I like Anthony. So he'd come, <clears throat> whatever comic was down, Gilbert Godfrey or 
Brad Garrett and Brenner. Brenner had to be there. Brenner was the only one. And we'd invite, the only non-comic would be the mayor, Oscar Goodman. Okay. Because he was kind of, we had to invite Oscar. Right. You know, there'd be no writers, no <laughs> critics, no reviewers, no women. So what were you guys just talking about? We didn't invite any women comics. You know, we, I felt bad we didn't invite Rita Runder, but it was a guy thing. And Oscar said, no, no, no women, just, just the guys. You know, so we get together about once a month, maybe once every two months, Friday afternoon, and have lunch. And um, and Oscar, you know, uh, David went to the same high school together. They grew okay. up in the same neighborhood. I think they were like one year apart, so they had a lot of, you know, those guys always like meeting. Oscar always had great mob stories, because he was a mob lawyer back in the day. So those were kind of rat packy lunches. How did you like living in Vegas? Because you lived for two years. Did did it? Did you enjoy it? Or because I lived there for one year and there's not a lot to do. I mean, did I enjoy it? Did you enjoy living in Vegas? Or I mean, because well, you're a New I York guy in, who lives in L.A. Uh, so, you know. Looking back at it, I enjoyed it a lot. You know, um, it was well. I was working in a very odd place. I had a showroom at Hooters, which I don't really have time to go into the whole story. But it was it was a mental institution. Nobody knew what they were doing in this place. Uh, the GM Gary Gregg knew what he was doing, but he it, it was he was almost. I felt like Jack Nicholson trying to run the asylum here because everybody had a different agenda in this casino. They never had a showroom before, and I was the first guy that went in. And Hooters was very accommodating. Gary was great. They had a publicist. I went out to do a lot of radio. Uh, the press in Vegas with all the entertainment there. Better entertainment than me, that's for sure. To get people to come off the strip and go to Hooters, to get locals to come anywhere near the strip, when every week there were not only all the regulars playing, there were all Cirque du Soleil shows, but every weekend, Robert Williams, Louis Black, Bruce Springsteen, there would be something going on. That the rodeo, so to get people, you know, with, and this is right before the recession, but to get people into Hooters, I think I did a kind of admirable job. Uh, the radio was great to me. The reviewers, you know, Mike Weatherford, the entertainment guy, and, uh, you know, Norm Clark, the columnist, they were all great to me. And um, so I had a good time. They were paying me a nice salary. Did you, did you live in a hotel? or They were actually, what was really cool, and nobody else on the strip, uh, none of the other resident comics, from Caritas, Penn and Teller, Louis Anderson, Anthony Cools, none of them had the deal that I had, is that I, uh, oh, George Wallace always came to the lunches. I can't leave out George. Not that he would hear this, but George Wallace was an important part of the lunches. Uh, they paid for a condo right next door to Hooters Casino. So they paid for a condo. Nobody had paid accommodations. You know, everybody had to, out there, and I got a salary. Everybody else had a three or four world deal where they had to pay for their own advertising, right. and they got a percentage of the door. So I got a weekly salary, not as much as a lot of those guys, but it was a guaranteed weekly salary. I paid my opening acts really good money. I took him out to eat dinner, and I was making more money than I ever made, which I blew it all. And I never spent it on gambling. I never spent it on hookers. I never spent it on golf. Um, Never went to a strip club. I spent all my money going out to eat. And I spent all my money, you know, I shop at Whole Foods instead of a $10 bottle of wine. There'd be $20 bottles of wine. And, you know, my wife and daughter both had a car. And, you know, they live in L.A. And I would go back and forth to L.A. And that adds up very, very, very quickly. And it put me in a tax bracket, six figures. And I mean, I shouldn't be complaining, but, you know, I never had any money. So I I really paid my opening acts more than I should have. Uh, all the other comedy clubs were pissed that I'm paying my openers more than they were paying their headliners. Right. But I figured these guys deserved it, and I would have wanted them to do the same thing for me. I wanted to share the wealth. And uh, so I like living in Vegas. I, the one a big extravagant uh, thing I did shell out for was I 
joined the health club. I had a personal trainer twice a week. So I, I sat by the pool every day. Let me that ask was you my some, day. Let me ask some more personal trainers. Now, now, did you at least have a good one? I go to this gym in Burbank called Burbank Athletic. Uh-huh. And these personal trainers are the biggest dunces. I saw a guy with... A, a cowboy hat on. Okay, uh, personal trainer, cowboy hat. I saw one guy walking with Crocs, and he's texting as he's working with this person. I had the and they're fat. And I'm like, wait, wait no, they, I, they, I don't understand. Did you have a good personal trainer? I've always had. You know what? When I was living here, you know, well, I, well, I am living here, but I started working out with a personal trainer 20 years ago, and I had a really good one, a really, really good one in, in L.A. Before everybody had one, before all the 24 hour fitness places started opening, and um, my friend Scotty. Uh, I used him for a while, and I still, you know what, I can't really afford a personal trainer anymore, so what he does is he comes up to the house once a month, we do an intense workout, and I open up a great bottle of wine and make him dinner. Um, and I've taken him on the road once or twice, and I said, I can't afford to pay you. I don't, I don't do this anymore, but I get him a hotel room, and because I was such a pussy and such a wuss and so lazy, I couldn't push myself to work out. I still do it. I work out all the time, and after 20 minutes, I go, yeah, I'll do this tomorrow. But when you have the trainer there, and you always feel better afterwards. But in Vegas, there were a couple of women that worked for the gym, and they were great. They were great. They pushed me hard. Um, they were really, really good, and they knew what they were doing. How do you select the towns you go to? I was checking out. Well, Phil, I was checking out your schedule. You're going to be in San Diego in a little bit. There's a place in Hillcrest. Go up University called Bronx Pizza. Good pizza. What's it called? Bronx Pizza. It's Where in is San it? Diego. Yes, it's in Hillcrest. It's a, where's you, that? It's, you're in San Diego in a few weeks. I saw. Bronx Pizza? Bronx. Bronx. The Bronx. Oh, Bronx Pizza. Yeah, I saw you're in San Diego in a few weeks. I checked your schedule. Okay. Check out, ask some people, where's Bronx Pizza? It's great pizza. You know, there's still a few, there's a few great places in LA. You know, in Westwood, there's, what is it, 800 degrees, and oh my God, there's so many of them, you know. Now, how how do you pick the cities you play? Like, I know you were just in Michigan. I saw you post that you had a great time. I had a great time at, uh, right side of Detroit, yeah. Now, how do you pick the, do you, does your agent do it, or do you just say, I'm going to play this club, or what do you do? My agent does it. What he can, you know, I I get a lot of it myself. I've played a lot of these places before. So, so. but you, is there a certain club you go? I want to go back. Here, I call there... the clubs and I go, hey, I email them, and they go, yeah, we'll call your agent. Yeah, well, you got to get you back, Bobby. It's been too long. And they call my agent, and my agent, goes, hey, guess what? I just got you. Yeah, great. There goes ten percent out the window <laughs> for doing nothing. I get I get most of my work. Now, my agents, there's there's too many young comics making more money than me, and they're too busy focusing on those guys. Now, and half of them suck. Yeah, but well, what do you think about the new comics? I mean, it seems like great ones. I mean, but like the whole com- the, the whole comedy scene though, I've noticed like out here, and I've noticed this more. When I started out, like in Philadelphia, it was the headliners. It was the the opener, the feature, and the headliner. And now it's like out in L.A., especially on Facebook, everybody's a headliner. Okay, like, first they sit of all, there and- there's look. I don't really follow the comedy scene anymore. But I, when I started out 35 years ago, you know, there was a generation of guys like Letterman and Leno and Treason, and there were a lot of comics. And before them, you know, Pryor and Carlin and Clyde. I mean, there were a lot of comics. But when guys like me and Seinfeld and Riser, Kevin Pollock, did a car, I mean, we didn't have to, we all started the same year. But we had these guys to look to. Stand-up comedy had been done. And we, we'd seen all these guys on The Tonight Show. And we'd watch them all on in Sullivan and Merv Griffin. And, you know, and, you know, we didn't invent stand-up comedy. But now, you know, what makes it easy for comics and hard for comics is that almost every style and everything has been done. And everybody seems watered down, you know. I mean, you get great comics. We're all influenced by somebody, you know. Um, 
You know, Eddie Murphy was always influenced. He said by Pryor, and then Dave Chappelle was influenced by Eddie Murphy, and Chris Rock was influenced by all of them. And all these guys started their own style. They're all brilliant comedians. We're all, I mean, come on, the Beatles and the Stones, Elvis, right. Chuck Berry, the blues guy. Everybody's influenced by somebody, and everybody takes something, and you take it to another place, and you make it your own. But now there are so many comics that are just copying everybody else. They're cookie-cutter comics. And there's so many comics that suck, and they've been given headliner status because of Comedy Central and Chelsea Handler, which I don't like either of those. Comedy Central's given people, they put me on a lot in the old days, but now they take a comic, 1500 bucks, put him on TV, buy your material, buy your special, and put some guy on that's not ready. You know, it's like these growers that are picking tomatoes and then gassing them to turn them red, right. and they have no taste. I just made that up. That's a brilliant analogy. That's actually a great Usually analogy. you do an analogy, you go, it's stupid. That's brilliant. You know, you're picking stuff before it's ripe. You're rushing it. You're shooting it with chemicals. You know, it's not ready to go. And Chelsea Handler, who I can't stand, you know, like, I, I can't, can't stand it? 90% of the comics on her show. But, you know, the, God bless them that they're all headlining. Am I a little jealous? Yes. But they go and they play a comedy club. Most of them have 20, 30 minutes of material, you know. You look at these guys on America's Got Talent, and, you know, they're funny for 20 minutes, but they don't have an hour. They're packing clubs, you know. I mean, that guy, that fan, I remember that guy, that Asian guy, you know, he'd headline clubs and, you know, we only had 20 minutes and so sometimes the middle act had to go on after him. I, I don't know how he is now, but, but there's a lot of guys that just aren't ready. I mean, maybe they're ready now, but what comedy's doing, it's pushing people, television, into, you know, it's the same thing with The Tonight Show. And, uh, they would make sure you had two or three shots before they brought you back, you know? They wouldn't put you on. If Johnny Carson liked you... Um, well, you know, the, the one and only time I did it with Johnny, they wanted to make sure that I had two or three shots ready. Because if Johnny loved me, wanted to be back in two weeks, okay. they want to go, oh, he's not ready to go back. You wanted to be ready. This is your shot. You better be ready. But a lot of guys, you know, they, they, they do a few shots on television. Or they do a half hour one night stand or whatever. And one of these HBO Comedy Central things. And then they headline and they don't have the hour or they do the exact same material. You know, it took me a long, long time to get a couple hours of material. I could probably have a lot more if I wasn't so picky about what I was doing. I mean, I'm no Louis C.K. where I read a new hour every 20 minutes. Right. You know? Now, do you write a lot still? or are you... Uh, you know what? I come up with stuff. I, You know what? I've been doing this for so long, and I'm so tired of it that having a week off now, I just sit in my pool and I cook, you know, and I do a little workout. If something comes to me, comes to me. I sit in the pool. My wife goes, who are you talking to? I'm talking to myself. I'm always trying to come up. Always trying to come up with stuff. Always thinking of stuff. But, my girlfriend says the same thing. Like, Who are you like talking to? Like, you know, these musicians. I went to my hero. I mentioned him again. Keith Richards said he doesn't always write songs as much as he's a conduit. They just come to him. That's an amazing talent to have when you can hear. You can sometimes your voice is in your head and you can write a song. Sometimes right. your voice in your head and you drown your children. <laughs> so there's a very thin line between being a, a Grammy Award winning artist and a serial killer. Yeah, you said, you said, <laughs> I've made that up too. <laughs> that's pretty good. Right, that's that, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm like. I'm like amused. Yeah, you know, very much <laughs> yeah, so, whatever. Yeah. No, I got it. Now you said you like the blues. I like the blues. Now, now, have you always been a big music fan since you were a kid, or did you? What uh, made you get into the blues? Because um, a lot of people don't talk about the blues. I've always loved the blues, and I think it's because, uh, you know, well, like I'm in my fifties now, and I think I started getting into blues in my thirties because of the Rolling Stones, who I always loved. I was never a blues guy. You know, I remember when their their album in the late 60s, Let It Bleed came out, and Love in Vain, the Robert Johnson song, I thought for years that was a Stone song. And I thought uh, uh, a lot of stuff that they did were their songs. And I remember seeing 
David Joe Hanson doing Buster Point, the New York Dolls, and they were doing some old Shangri-Las, not the blues, but they were doing a lot of, you know, a couple of Ray Charles songs, and these were the New York Dolls. And I thought those were their songs, and, you know, Sonny Boy Williamson, don't you start me talking. So I didn't get into the blues until probably the 70s, 80s, even the 90s. Uh, I'd heard of them, I'd listened to them, but I didn't realize the depth and the power and the how great they were and how everything came from that. You know, but then again, I, I I'm not not a big jazz fan. I, I played the drums for years. I'm a lousy lousy drummer. Um, you know, I, I should say I play the drums. I have the drums. I hit the drums. So I've always been interested in music. And my big regret in life is I never picked up a guitar. But uh, you know, I'm I'm the kind of person my kid. I've, I've tried to play the harmonica for years, and after ten minutes, I give up. I remember the first I got harmonica lessons. I remember I had some guy come to my house 15 years ago, and if I would have stuck with it for an hour a day, I'd probably be pretty good now. But I'm just too lazy. If I can't do something 15 minutes, like skiing and golf, I try to bother. That fucking sucks. I hate this. I hate this skiing. What people like this shit. I fell. It's cold out. I go. I need a hot toddy. That's not my. Thing. I'm the same way. I had a guitar lab in high school, and I played it, and I'm like, I'm like. Hey. This sounds like Led Zeppelin. Like, no, it doesn't. Yeah. I said, I'm screwed. I don't know the time. I don't want to. You know what? You got to stick with this stuff until your fingers bleed. You know, and and the only reason I became a good comic was because I started making a living from it, and I knew this was what I was supposed to do. I knew this was all I could do, and I, you know, and it was so frustrating. But when you get that big laugh. You know, and there was a couple of more laughs, and you know you can do this. With music, with anything else, I never got any recognition. I never picked up the drums. I have go, wow, that's great. Right. But with stand-up, you know, I know I could, I've written great jokes, and I've written jokes as good as anybody, not enough of them, you know. And, and I, I, I don't work like a guy like Seinfeld, where he sits and he writes and he works and he still loves it. I'm, very, I'm still very lazy with stand-up, very lazy with everything. My book I write when I get this bug up my ass to write, you know. Well, the cooking you're not lazy with. Now, how'd you learn to cook? Did you do did you, did you, necessity? You... I learned to cook because, you know, there was a time in my life I was broke and, you know, and I needed to cook. And then, uh, you know, I started getting into going to great restaurants and becoming friends with a lot of chefs. And I go, I got to try to make that. And also, you know what it basically became? My wife doesn't cook a lot. And I love to drink a lot. And you can't drink and drive. So... After being on the road for four or five days, I don't want to, if I had all the money in the world, you know, I mean, I'd go out to eat more, but I just want to be home. I love sitting home. I don't like the idea of having to go out and park and drive. Maybe if I had a driver, I'd go to more restaurants, but you know what? I love sitting in front of my TV, catching up with The Tonight Show or a cooking show or a movie, and I love being home. And when I'm finished eating, I just want to know I could take a shower and go to sleep. I'm there. I'm home. I'm on the road so much that when I'm out, I, I, on the road, I'm eating all, out all the time. So I, and, and again, I live right down the street. There's Whole Foods. There's a farmer's market. There's a million grocery stores about where, where I live, you know, in Sherman Oaks. So I, as a matter of fact, I got my grocery list right here. I can't wait to get out of here. I'm going to go home and cook. See, I'm like that. Arugula, I, I, tomato salad. Tonight, I, I said to my wife, I could do the uh, tomato salad with the roasted tomatoes and there's basil and mozzarella or should we try the one with pine nuts and the tomatoes with a little bit of reggiano and avocado on top that's what we're going with see that's simple that's funny you say that because i do it with my girlfriend because she cooks and i cook but i always i make a i think of a menu for the week and i said i love shopping i do i love shopping i love and this thing is i sit there and i i go to sprouts and i sit there and it's great great store the great the great produce and i sit and i put put my menu by what's on sale it's like oh my god i'm like honey sprouts has ahi on sale for 6.99 i don't like ahi you know guess what though it's 6.99 for great ass ahi I'm getting that and I'm searing it. And you that's what, what I, I never, do. I never look at prices. 
I but, always but, do. But, but, but that, well, that's why I don't. If I shop to Gelson's at Old Foods, I, those are emergency places because right. I have no places. Those prices are astronomical. <laughs> but I love to shop. And I, I get my friends go, "You're the pit bull of comedy. You like to shop, kind of gay." No, it's only kind of gay if you want to. You and I went, Steve. If you and I went shopping, right. hey, you want to go shopping after this? You want to go to Sprouts? That's really gay. <laughs> You want to see my cat? Yeah. Gay. You don't have to suck cock to be gay. That's gay. Yeah. You have to be actual homosexual to be gay. You and I grocery shopping together, gay. That's true. I, yeah. I, I always shop because the thing is, and I've noticed that, do you eat salmon? Do you eat fish? Of course. Salmon, why is salmon so damn expensive? It used to be like, you can get like salmon for like eight ninety nine a pound. Now, uh, every time it's 12 nine, it pisses me off. Well, you know, I don't, I don't know. But if you go to Costco and get the frozen salmon, I know it's farm raised, it tastes fine. It actually tastes great. You know, my brother's one of the people, I don't want the farm raised. And they feed him this. And I go, you know what? And then I made it for one time. I put on a plank. I put on my grill. And he says, it's the best summer I've had. Maybe it's not Copper River, but it's great stuff. <laughs> and that's another thing. People said I should have a food show. I don't want a food show. You'd I, be I good at a food show, though, because you have the attitude. First of all, same reason your cookbook's going to go nowhere. Is, um, <laughs> nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. I don't care how good it is. Nothing to do with your talent as a writer or a cook. But it's going to go nowhere. And... Um, I didn't want a cooking show because there's too many of them on. And there's too many people that do it better. And I don't want to do it. And uh, you know what my biggest fear was? Uh, more than chemotherapy, more than getting hijacked and, 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 and wrapped up and taken to Shanghai and, and sold on a slave ship in, in the Philippines. What was more frightening to me is I was on standby to do that show, Chopped. You know the show, Chopped? Love that show. Love okay. it. Well, if people don't know it, I don't want to explain it, but it's a cooking show. They give you weird ingredients. They'll give you like a, a, a goat. Of, yeah. The weirdest ingredients you can ever imagine. And um, you have 20 minutes to make an entree, then a few minutes to make a dessert. And you, you, know, you have the whole kitchen to yourself and uh, everything you could possibly want. You compete against two or three other people, three or four other people. So I'm watching all these professional chefs do it. And these guys are having a tough time. And they're, they're pros. They're the best of the best. So now they're doing this celebrity one. You know, it's actors or athletes. And they did one with comedians. And... Uh, my manager said, I get you on this show. You know, pays a few grand. They fly to New York, whatever, you know, and you want to do it. And I said, well, I'm going to be in New York anyway. I'm off. And yeah, I can make a few thousand. I turn on the show and I see what they're doing with these mystery baskets of ingredients. Everything from, you know, gummy worms, oh, yeah. salmon, and then, uh, you know. Like, pe- a, like a thing you've never heard of, like things, wild orchid yeah, something. You're like, what the hell is that? never heard of. You yeah. know, or, thing, or dragon fruit. Yeah. I've heard of it. What are you doing? Exactly. What is it? I mean, just bizarre <laughs> crap. And to put it together. Now, I could cook anything if you gave me a recipe with this. And you gave me all day. I could cook whatever right. you want. You know, I could even braise if I have to. And I could reduce. But if you're going to tell me in 20 minutes, I'm going to put together and use all these ingredients and make it edible and beat these other people. I'm watching the show and I'm going, this is so beyond anything that I'm capable of doing. And I'm going to watch the ones with athletes and I'm watching the ones with actors and I go, I, I can't do this. So for about three weeks, I'm watching the show religiously every day and I'm writing down, I'm calling all my chef friends and I'm going, okay, raisins, <laughs> chocolate pudding and steak. Uh, and a swizzle stick. What would you make? And the chef said to me, melt down the swizzle stick. Take this, grind it up, make a powder, turn that into a... I'm going, oh my God, this is... They know right away. I'm going, okay, what about this? And they juji fruits and, 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 and meatloaf. And I mean, it's free onions. And they tell me, make a sauce, make a reduction. And I'm going, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I'm going to go on TV and I'm going to sit there like an idiot. So for weeks, I'm making up imaginary recipes with jello and tree bark. And I'm, I'm, I'm going online. What can I make from maple syrup and eggs? And, and this, By the way, the great thing, you could find recipes. I'm going, yeah, I should have thought of that. And I'm writing down stuff like a mental patient, reams and reams. And I'm only on standby. It turns out it was, it was uh, Robert Wall, uh, this woman uh, 
who wound up winning. Uh, it was Sinbad. It was Tommy Davidson. And I was sitting in the other room. And they said, Bobby, you're just a standby in case one of them cuts their finger or one of them gets disqualified or something. And I'm just watching the show going, please, Sinbad, please, don't, I don't want to go out there. I don't want to go out there. And I thought for the comedians, they go easy on them. And they didn't. It was some outrageous cornmeal. And I don't even remember what it was. But I, it was a, that was my biggest nightmare. But getting back to the cooking show, I did not want to have to do a cooking show. And I used to have friends come over for dinner all the time. And I'd cook. I'd put on the blues. I crack up with a bottle of wine, and everybody be cracking up. And they go, Bobby, we'll put out the money for you. We'll let's do a pilot. What happened though? When we did a pilot, nothing came intrinsically. None of it was fun because they come over to my house at seven eight o'clock in the morning. I can't drink wine at seven eight o'clock in the morning. Right. I can't put on Sinatra or Muddy Waters because you can't have music in the background because it interferes. And then there's copyright laws. So now there's no music. Now there's no wine drinking. Then you got to make the sauce three different times so they can shoot it from another camera angle. There's wires I'm tripping over. It wasn't fun. Cooking to me is fun. My wife goes, you want me to help you? I go, no, that's the reason I cook. I don't want you in the kitchen. I don't want anybody around, you know? Well, yes, I don't yeah. want people around. That's my solitude. I want to be left alone. I'm the same way. It's like I said to her, I was cooking last night. I'm like, she's coming in the kitchen. I can get out of the kitchen. And she's like, what? I go, I'm just getting, I'm getting ice from my water. I said, I don't care. I'm cooking. This is yeah. my area. I, I, I blast the music. My wife goes, how can you listen to that crap? Uh, I usually put the blues on. When she comes to the kitchen, I put on the remotes and social distortion. Anything to get her out of there. Now, we have a few minutes left. Good. Uh, Thank God. I was wondering when this would come to an end. Red wine. You're a big red wine drinker? Yes. What, what, what's your favorite kinds? Are oh you a Pinot God. guy? Or you, what, what are you, what, what, what's crap? What's my favorite? What would you say is the crappiest wine? Would you, would, if someone that said, Charles here's Shaw, That Charles Shaw garbage. That two, that two buck chuck to people. These idiots. That white Zinfandel, which isn't even wine. I'm no wine expert, but you see idiots. You know, women and black people with their white Zinfandel. They're so stupid. Um, I mean, it's just, it's not even wine. It's fake wine. And, you know, that two buck chuck. When that stuff came out, it was actually great. Because they would buy their grapes randomly, and they happened to get some kind of harvest somewhere from somebody. That that was a fifteen or twenty dollar bottle of red, and I bought cases of it. Six months, it's pure garbage. But Trader Joe's, you know, I don't drink white wine very much, and I'm making Chinese food the other day, and uh, I'm not a fan of Riesling or sweet wines. But they did a uh, Reserve Riesling. It's a Trader Joe's five ninety nine. The guy said to me, "Try it, you'll love it." And I just bought five bottles of it because it was magnificent. Gonna, if you're drinking, if you're eating spicy Chinese food. That's good stuff. So you, you never know. You got to go to BevMo. They have the nickel wine sale. Hey, that's bullshit. Though. Most of the stuff is, it's, the other stuff they're selling is way overpriced. And their, their wines, you know, uh, you get some good deals, but not great deals. Because some of that wine, is, you can find much, much cheaper. See, see, you're like me. You're a shopper. That's so funny. I mean, you're right though. We wouldn't shop together, but you, it's it's a thing. I get therap I, I get it's therapeutic when thing, I read when I yeah, read the flyers. I don't want to overpay on wine. That's one thing I don't want to do. I don't mind buying a twenty dollar bottle, but I, you know what? I can if you like something called WineSearcher.com. I've given people so much information. Uh, WineSearcher.com will give you an idea. If you buy a bottle of wine and you think it's a good deal at Bevmo, and you go online, like you know, you'll see how much right. cheaper the original bottle is. You get that bottle for a nickel. Bullshit. <laughs> I want to thank you for coming on. Again, yeah, I, by the way, I'm going to be your best guest of the year. I'll come back next year again. Well, you know, just we're not done yet. We no, have a few not, minutes. I already have my stuff. I want to get to Trader Joe's. I want to get. Could my you pool. wait one second? Because I, I have to get a picture of you. Oh, hurry up! I was, no, when we get outside. Yeah. Okay, we don't, we're not going to talk with you. Since, okay, we're done. Here, here, here. We're done. Are we done? No, sign the baseball because I get every guest to sign, sign the damn baseball. baseball. It's my new thing. Every guy. Oh. These people crap. I go right, through. Go to bobbyslade.com and look for me on Twitter, Pitbull Comedy, and my daughter, girl, GRL. They're on the new Pitbull song, Wild Wild Love. I thought I'd give her a plug, even though she doesn't do that for me. Is that, is that weird though? Your daughter's gotten the business, huh? Are you glad your daughter got in the business? 
Yeah, because I hope she makes enough money so I can retire. I kept track of every receipt, every Beanie Baby, every trip to McDonald's and Disneyland. We have two minutes left, Bobby. Oh, Hey, no, because just sign a damn ball and I'll talk. People, talk. check out Bobby Slayton. Also, uh, keep listening. Next week, I have uh, one of my guests is Josh Mankiewicz. In the next few weeks, I have uh, Doug Pinnock from King's X. I also have Reed Diamond and Jerry Burns. I think it's Jerry Burns. It's I never realized, let's get back to me. Who cares about your guest next week? I never realized how difficult it was to sign a baseball. It's hard, isn't it? Yeah, it's when you see a guy actually get a signature on there, you know, that's pretty. They, and they, they'll just do him like that. Like that that's like pretty that. good. That's yeah. pretty good. They, you, you, yeah. you have to go to Lenscraft. Your glasses are a little bit crooked. You know, you know what? These are these are ninety nine cent glasses. Are you, are you one of those guys who goes and just dollar buys dollar like rubble. pavilions? I have a hundred pairs of these, and as soon as they get crooked, I throw them in a drawer, and I uh, you know just save for emergencies. Are you near or far sighted? I don't know. You I don't can, know. I can see far. What does that mean? I can't see anything anymore. I have both. I can't read up close or far away. You gotta get what I have. The uh, they're, they're, they have the, the near and the far. I've had perfect eyesight my whole life, but now I can't see my wife. It's fine. Are right, we done now? What thirty seconds? Can you just wait till I wrap 30 up? Thirty seconds. God, no, it's, it's actually I have to wrap up in an hour. It's fifty nine. Oh, wrap it up, wrap okay, it up. No, people, Bobby people, Slate, everybody, yeah, my okay. best guest ever. Bobby Slate, my best guest ever. Follow me at, Co- at Cooper Talk on uh, Twitter at Cooper Talk. Email me Cooper at Indy One Hundred. <laughs> this, 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 this is what I go through, people. This that's why I don't bring comedians I'm on anymore. Because it goes, you're not. Leaving yet? Cause I gotta get a picture. Take of you. your picture. Right. I can, we gotta get outside. All right, people. Uh, you know what? This show's gonna be thirty seconds. You know, what? forget it. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna have to get a picture. All right. Cooper talk. Uh, yes, see you next week.